0: Hey, Risto here at George Mason University. I'm here with Andrew Woods from the University of Wollongong in Australia to discuss the article Correlates of Physical Activity and Sedentary Behavior in Children Attending Before and After School Care, a Systematic Review. Uh, It was recently published in BMC Public Health Journal, um, and you can find the full citation of this article in the show notes. Um, Andrew, welcome. Welcome. Aristo, thank you thanks very much for having me here today and and I love that so this is another one of these Twitter papers that I found so I, I saw you post on it it's super related to what I like doing research in uh, some of my colleagues and I are doing um, a, a review right now that's in review um, so I um, that's why I wanted to ask you to come on because I think this is a super interesting topic. So let me start off by just asking if you can kind of tell us about the out-of-school hours care settings and how those settings can influence the lives of young children from around the world.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so out-of-school out, out hours care, um, in, in terms of, I guess, a definition of what it is, and I guess the scope of what we were looking at um, with our research research was very much looking specifically at, um, at care services, so structured centre-based care services that operate outside of school hours. So um, generally they'll operate um, before school, after school um, and then also during school holidays. So there's it's a different, differing terminology for um, out-of-school hours care um, across the world, across the literature, as in a lot of fields. Um, there's differing terms for different settings. Um, you know, in Australia here, we call it um, before before and after school care and then vacation care. However, I know over in the US, um, after school programs is commonly used and the UK, I know, often refer to it as um, wraparound care and breakfast clubs. So there's differing terminology. However, I guess I want to, um, I guess, clarify uh, at the start that um, in terms of what we're looking at in this looked at in this review um was we were looking at um the more structured center-based care services so obviously there's you know um before and after school like exercise programs which i know you you're um that's largely what your review is centered around um risto but um we were looking at focusing more on um structured services that are actually operating within a center providing food all those kind of things So um, it's quite a largely attended setting, um, out-of-school hours care. So uh, around 30% of children 6 to 11 years old um, across OECD countries attend centre-based before-and-after-school care services. Um, And there's been quite a few studies done um, that have found that uh, the setting can have a positive influence on children's uh, physical activity and um, healthy eating habits. Um, as well, so um, it's kind of an opportune setting for um, intervention, so we're definitely interested in um, uh, diving a bit deeper into it.
0: So in your introduction, you talk about childhood obesity interventions, and they they have a bunch of different foci, so you have healthy eating, uh, active play, or increasing physical activity, or addressing sedentary behaviors. So I'm wondering uh, if you can explain these different types of interventions and share kind of what the what the aim of the research and overall was. Yeah, definitely.
1: So, um, you know, childhood obesity interventions in all settings, I guess, including in USH, um, often have a focus on influencing, I guess, one particular area. So whether that be increasing physical activity, reducing sedentary behavior or improving nutrition. Um, and studies have suggested that Uh, you know as childhood obesity as a whole is quite a multifaceted issue that interventions can benefit by uh, I guess being multi-component in nature and targeting I guess more than um, one of these things um, at a time. So and in terms of interventions so there has been um, in the literature there has been uh, positive outcomes um, on measures um, so you know uh, on things such as moderate to vigorous physical activities. There's been programs targeted towards increasing MVPA and things like that. Um, however, um, results um, in terms of um, uh, childhood obesity outcomes, such as things like BMI, body mass index, and things like that have generally been... Um, quite mixed and um, the interventions have been found to be generally ineffective on I guess childhood obesity as a whole um, and I guess looking at the you know physical activity space um, most studies uh, that are concerned with increasing physical activity um, haven't I guess also had that approach of reducing sedentary behaviour at the same time um, so you know targeting these simultaneously could um, you know potentially see improved obesity um, reduction outcomes. So I guess looking at future childhood obesity interventions in the US setting, um, for I guess interventions to, you know, um, target physical activity and sedentary behaviour effectively, um, it's important to, I guess, have an understanding of um, the setting itself and some of the various correlates going on that influence physical activity and sedentary behaviour. So having a look, at the literature um, before we conducted this view um, that there was, uh, to our knowledge, no systematic review that had been conducted on um, physical activity and sedentary behaviour correlates uh, within the setting. So um, this review, we thought it was you know, a gap and we were hoping to fill that. Um, and as a result, hopefully um, it could help inform um, future uh, childhood obesity interventions uh, within the setting. Um, I'll also just note um, that initially um, our review was also looking at healthy eating, so we were looking trying going to look at all kind of three factors. Um, however, following on from um, you know literature screening, we ended up with essentially only one uh, nutrition based paper that met our criteria. So as a result, we decided just to focus the review on physical activity and sedentary behaviour. And that, I guess, in itself, and I'll talk a little bit about it later on, I guess, is a gap as well in in terms of um, there were no kind of nutrition studies that met our criteria. Um, But yeah, and I guess also in terms of the structure that we wanted to organise our review, um, uh, consistent, consistent with uh, quite a few other reviews of physical activity and sedentary behaviour in childcare environments. Um, we utilised a social ecological framework to, uh, I guess, categorise our correlates um, to try and help provide an informed um, approach for future intervention. And I'll I can go a little bit more into that um, when we talk about the methods.
0: So, can you clarify one thing? I think quickly when people hear increasing physical activity or addressing sedentary behavior, sometimes they might collude those things into obviously like you're addressing sedentary behavior if you're increasing physical activity. But you have these as two separate distinct things that are different focuses. So like, obviously, like increasing physical activity could be prescribed as Hey, we're playing soccer or we're playing tag or we're going for a run or a jog or something, just doing some physical activity. How do you address sedentary behavior? What, what was, what were those kind of classifications?
1: Yeah. So I guess, you know, you know, um, I guess regardless, obviously, you know, if you're prescribing physical activity, it's obviously you're not being sedentary while you're engaged in that. Um, but you know, resultingly a a child could you know have a certain amount of time um in in, you know perhaps in an service where they're um engaged in physical activity moderate to vigorous physical activity etc however i guess that doesn't necessarily um change the fact that there could potentially be a full hour where they're sitting Mm -hmm. sedentary um for prolonged periods of time um so yeah obviously as you mentioned you know in terms of targeting sedentary behaviour, obviously prescribing physical activity would be one way. But you know, even um, even things such as you know um, you know standing rather than sitting, having kind of active active breaks, um, and, ju- and just trying to reduce times um, you know that children are are, are sitting. Um, uh, you know, you, you see sometimes there'll be things like where services
0: balance will, balls um, you know, or try like... and take
1: away chairs and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, well, obviously they are very, very related. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're not exclusively, you can still be, I guess, largely sedentary, um, and be very physically active.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So can you talk to us about the methods that you used in this systematic review?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so essentially, you know, as, as, you know, um, with most systematic reviews, we followed the um, uh, the, the prisoner statement. Um, and we can, the reason we conducted a systematic review, I guess, rather than a meta-analysis was um, that it wasn't really feasible to conduct a meta-analysis due to um, the considerable um, heterogeneity among study outcome measures. So there were, in terms of like the outcomes that um, we saw in the literature that studies were looking at, um, they were quite varied. It wasn't like all studies are looking at amount of MVPA. It yep. was quite varied um, from study to study, um, as, as you'll see in the, in the paper. So, resultingly, we went with um, a systematic review. So, um, yeah, we, so we essentially, um, we conducted our search in five databases um, from their inception up to December 2021. Um, and we used a variety of search terms uh, to try and capture, as I mentioned, there's quite a lot of terminology around um, before and after school programs um, around the world. So we had to include quite a few variations in our search um, and, you know, we had to, we would suddenly be doing a review and we would discover a new term and we had to run another search mm-hmm. with that new term. So it was, um, it was quite challenging in that sense. Um, um, but yeah, we also, I guess, in terms of what we were um, uh, focusing on so uh, some of our inclusion criteria was around um, that uh, the studies had to contain contain um, an objective measure of physical activity or sedentary behaviour. So um, we we wanted more that kind of direct observation, accelerometry, um, uh, pedometers, that kind of thing. So um, that was something that uh, we were focusing on, and I guess one of the main reasons uh, being was. Um, With uh, correlations that were being um, reported um, between the objective measure and other kind of demographic contextual or behavioural variables, um, we also wanted there to be uh, statistical significance for these correlations reported. Um, And uh, yeah, so essentially with those correlates, um, they were extracted and they were categorised into their respective social-ecological framework domain, um, so being individual, interpersonal, community and public policy. Um, And then we summarised those correlates according to shared associations to determine, I guess, how many studies we're observing a particular relationship compared to the overall studies which observe that um, that correlation. So, you know, if, if there were three quarters of the studies that found a positive association with that correlate compared to, you know, a quarter that found no statistical significance or things like that.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because you said that one of your <clears throat> inclusion criteria is that you had to have an objective measure of physical activity in, in our review. Like, uh, we did it obviously after you, but we found that the vast majority of the before and after school physical activity programs that said one of the purposes of them was to get kids physically active the vast majority of them did not measure physical activity they measured something else maybe but they didn't actually give the students accelerometers or do you know observations or you know have them get uh, even like a 3d par or something that they recall um, they just simply didn't measure it. And so I, I feel like I can see why your numbers dwindled. So like you had over 4,000 articles that came up. And then as you start going through, and I think that's because it's, it's super hard to measure physical activity, especially in younger age groups and consistently measure it, you know, getting consent, getting a cent, giving them $300, <laughs> actigraph accelerometers to take home with them and you know, so like those have been always uh issues that we've had. But um so I'm wondering about the other part and this is something that personally I've I've uh I've never done in my in my reviews and now we're getting a little pushback on this. And so I'm wondering if you can tell us about how you assess the quality of the studies and the validity of the methods of your own research. Like that's the bias piece is part of the prisma guidelines so i'm kind of wondering how how you did that and maybe you can talk about you know your your agreement at the very beginning with your co-author was not up to par and then you kind of made some adjustments to get it up to 100% agreement
1: yeah yeah definitely so i i i guess um you know starting with uh i guess the screening process itself so Um, yeah, so we essentially had for the actual, um, at at all stages at title, abstract screening, and then also at full text screening, we had, uh, multiple review authors, um, that were screening the articles and then, um, essentially, you know, we, we would compare their um, decisions on articles um and any kind of discrepancies uh where one person i guess wanted to exclude and want to include um a discussion would be had um and if you know we couldn't come to a conclusion we would find an independent author that would make a call on it so we kind of kept that um going throughout the entire process um to kind of help ensure some of that validity within our screening um and then uh also i guess we've um With the data extraction so when it came to i guess coding those correlates into the uh i guess the different domains of the social ecological framework um <clears throat> that was also reviewed and done by um, uh, two review authors as well um so i guess that's i guess that's one of the ways that we try to re- i guess maintain um internal validity and you know as a result it you know the screening process did take quite a lot of time um because you were relying on kind of multiple people um uh, multiple people to, to to kind of have to screen everything um and so it did drag on we had to run new searches as a result of you know so much time passing we needed to include extra articles um but yeah that was essentially how we maintained that um and then in terms of uh the study quality, assessing the quality of the studies that we ultimately ended up including. So um, we assessed risk of bias using um, the Office of Health Assessment and Translation uh, Risk of Bias Rating Tool um, for Human and Animal Studies. So um, it assesses the risk um, of the outcome and, uh, um, and rates Um, cross-sectional studies using seven questions covering six different types of bias. Um, So yeah, the tool and the tool had um, uh, there were certain questions that were catered towards um, you know uh, interventions and RCTs but obviously because we were looking at uh, cross-sectional observational studies um, we only used certain questions from that tool as it prescribed Um, and yet once again that was done by um, multiple review authors to to, to kind of ensure that that validity of the process. Mm
0: -hmm. So maybe you can give us an overview of the research in out-of-school hours care. Like where where are most of the research published? You know, what was the development in the number of articles that occurred? And what's the level of risk and and the bias in the research? And kind of what are the methods? Like maybe just give an overview of what you found um, in your review yeah
1: so I guess you know as you, as you um alluded to before we and our initial search we kind of started off with um you know around four and a half thousand articles um however following um title abstract screening uh we ended up with seventy five studies and then that kind of dwindled down to eighteen studies following um full text review and um yeah as you kind of mentioned, it was largely um you know due to the fact that, I guess, our criteria around, um, you know, both it being um, that more centre-based care service, that kind of knocked out, you know, any kind of study that was more just looking at kind of exercise clubs and things like that. Um, But then also the requirement for having, I guess, an objective measure, um, obviously studies that, um, you know, were collecting their physical activity data using more subjective um, child recall, things like that, um, weren't included. Um, So that, I guess, uh, contributed towards, you know, that kind of um, large amount of studies being excluded. Um, But from those 18 studies that we did end up with, um, most of the studies were conducted in the United States, so around 61% of them, Um, and then there were a couple in other countries such as Australia, um, uh, Norway and Canada. But another interesting thing was that all studies in their review, even though we were looking at, um, you know, USH and both before and after school care, um, all the studies that we found were conducted in um, after school um, uh, care or after school programs with no studies in before school care. Um, And I guess, you know, largely... I guess the reason for that would be um, that most of our studies were conducted in the United States and in the, in, in the United States from, you know, conversations I've had and what I've kind of read is that, you know, after school clubs and after school programs are ve- is a very kind of prevalent setting. It's very, very big. However, in terms of um, before school, um, there's not really um, a, a much of an emphasis on like c- center-based care before school for kids, um, uh, in the American context, whereas you know in countries such as Australia here, it's it's quite common, it's quite large um, before school care. Um, however, I guess as a result of there not being too many studies conducted um, in uh, countries outside of the U.S., um, there is I guess a bit of a real gap in before school before school care. Um, yeah, so all studies uh, were cross-sectional observational studies. Um, um, we uh, were, I guess, open to including intervention studies if they um, reported correlates at baseline. Um, however, none um, that we came across um, did observe correlations in the baseline data so that they weren't included. Um, and in terms of the studies, I guess... Uh, risk of bias from that that method that we did um all studies were found to have either a a definitely low or probably low risk of bias so it was quite good um and I guess largely because of you know the studies that we were including had objective measures um they're often the 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 bias was was uh, I guess lowered by that um so most studies that we found um used accelerometry, um, accelerometers to assess physical activity and sedentary behaviour. Um, we had a study that used pedometers and then we also had six studies that used um, direct observation. Um, and in terms of the, the correlate um, information on correlates within the setting um, was collected using you know various tools um, encompassing things such as time sampling, so systematic time sampling, um, policy review, schedule reviews administrative records and things like that
0: uh, it's it's interesting when you brought up the before school care because our our review had i think about three percent of the studies were before school and 97 were in after school care so but you know in certain areas where it's very hot they don't have gyms in elementary schools like that's where you're going to be able to be physically active like if you go to the southern united states in You know august when school starts you're not gonna have a running club in august when it's you know 40 celsius out outside and humid it's just not feasible so like there's a lot of reasons for before school programs that you know and now that a lot of people a lot of parents are have flexible schedules you know like they might work different hours they might work hybrid work They might want to go into the office at 6 a.m. if they're allowed to now or start work. So, you know, leaving a child in before school care and then taking them out of after school care, you know, I think I think that's a huge area of opportunity to study more, to understand. And, you know, I I was just at a school today um, um, in, in our local school districts here that they have a before school fitness program that goes through all those all the classes um it's volunteer based it's not mandatory obviously but then they use a mentorship program for the upper graders to come back come down and help on the days that they are not in in the club that they are helping out the kindergarten and first graders like there's like so many cool programs out there but you know they're just not being being researched
1: yeah, no, exactly right. And, um, yeah, I guess I I guess have a, a particular interest in before school care as um, uh, I've just recently, um, I guess, through these gaps that we've identified, um, even before we started the systematic review, we knew that there wasn't much research in before school care. Um, I just, uh, I guess, concluded an observational audit um, of before school care's uh, services um, uh, within uh, New South Wales, um, Australia, um, and I'm, I'm just in the process now of, um, of, of, I guess, writing up um, the, the outputs, the papers from that study. But, um, yeah, it was, and, you know, through my own observations of going into, I, I visited, you know, around 35 um, before school care services. Um, and yeah, it is very much um, a great opportunity to get to get help increase kids' I guess, physical activity across the day. You know, there's no reason why it needs to be, I guess, focused on you know recess and lunch and after school. Um, you know, it, when, if you can get kids in the morning, get them active. You know, we know that physical activity helps with things such as you know increased um, attention and concentration in school. So you know, getting them there in the morning, being a bit physical before school, um, you know, is, is definitely beneficial. So yeah, it it is a real um, a real gap in the research, um, and you know, some of the research that I've done uh, hopefully will help you know provide a bit more in, um, a bit more literature around that area but yeah obviously i hope that in the future um there's an you know an increase in interest and research in the setting
0: yeah absolutely so kind of pulling it back into the main focus of your of your study i'm I'm wondering if you can explain to us what correlates of physical activity and sedentary behavior were before we talk about them
1: yeah, yeah. So I guess when we were looking at, um, you know, uh, we're talking about correlates of activity or sedentary behaviour. Uh, you know, we were essentially looking at, you know, any kind of whether it be um, um, uh, contextual or environmental within the Ush service um, uh, or demographic. So when it comes down to individuals, um, uh, uh, you know, um, demographics um, or other kind of observed factors in the environment and how these um, influence children, you know, to be essentially more physically active or less sedentary while attending before and after school care, you know. So just to give a few quick examples um, off the top of my head before we dive deeper into it, you know, things such as, you know, staff behaviours and how that influences child's physical activity, how, um, you know, services um, policies influence physical activity. So essentially, um, you know, what's happening in services, um to influence this, to, I guess, provide, you know, a bit of an insight into, okay, if we know that, you know, this is happening and it's something, you know, perhaps controllable within individual services, um, then, you know, there's an opportunity, for, um, you know, for, for, for changes to be made um, if we know that it does, you know, positively or negatively influence um, PA or sedentary behaviour.
0: Yeah and and you used um you talked about the socio ecological domain and there's a podcast way back in the archives in the very first uh podcast when Aaron Senteo talked about this but I'm wondering if you can explain to us what you mean by that term and how your findings relate to that approach.
1: Yeah, yeah, so um essentially you know um similar with with quite a few of the other um systematic reviews that um we found that had been looking at correlates um of of either PA or sedentary behavior in different aspects of childcare, so early childhood schools, things like that. Um, uh, quite a few of them followed um this this practice of using um a the social ecological framework I guess to kind of um categorize. So I guess um the social eco- ecological framework is essentially you know, it kind of breaks down, um, you know, influences, um, social influences into different kinds of domains. So um, that being individual, so individual influences, interpersonal, looking more at those kind of um, relationships uh, between people, institutional. So obviously we will, that would, was looking at the institutions of OSHAs themselves, so policies, things like that. And then community variables being, you know, community being more the kind of wider um, surrounding uh, community of the USH service. Um, Public policy is also another level of the uh, social ecological framework. However, um, uh, from the studies that we observed, um, uh, we didn't, there weren't any, uh, I guess, correlates that were categorized into, um, uh, that weren't looking at any correlations with public policy. Um, But yeah, that's essentially the framework and using those categories, um, extracted correlates will kind of slot it into those different um, domains. Um, And that, you know, ultimately uh, helps us into kind of seeing like, right, okay, you know, there's quite a lot of um, influence occurring in the institutional domain or the interpersonal domain. Um, And, yeah, it it just helps, I guess, um, you know, allow future approaches to be a little bit more targeted to, I guess, different... uh, different aspects of, um, you know, which services based on, you know, where we're seeing a lot of the, um, uh, correlations happening.
0: So <clears throat> I'm wondering if you can explain what the correlates of physical activity and sedentary behavior that you found in the research were after we kind of understand what they are and how it fits into the socio-ecological domain.
1: Yeah. So, um, So, yeah, so we looked at uh, correlates of physical activity and sedentary behaviour separately, as we mentioned before, um, as we wanted to kind of observe whether there's any kind of differing influences, um, perhaps Mm -hmm. if certain things influence sedentary behaviour more than physical activity and things like that. So um, starting with physical activity, um, uh, we saw there was a total of... um, Uh, 116 correlations identified um, and of which um, 10 were classified uh, in the individual domain, 14 as interpersonal, um, 90 as institutional and two as community. Um, And then for sedentary behaviour, it was kind of around half the amount. So we saw around 64 correlations of sedentary behaviour with most of them, um, 48 of them coming from the institutional domain. So we very much saw a lot of our correlations that studies were observing, um, where we were looking at the institution of the Ush services. Um, so, I guess going through each of those levels um, to kind of talk about what we saw. So, in the individual domain, um, uh, what we saw was that there was an association that. Um, Uh, males engage in more physical activity and are less sedentary than females so this is quite consistent with other reviews of children in settings but it was something that was I guess affirmed in the USH sector. Um, The interpersonal domain um, through those correlates we saw that um, staff engaging in and supervising physical activity was associated with increased physical activity levels um, and then also staff uh, discouraging PA and you know disciplining children was significantly associated with increased sedentary behaviour. So um, you know quite uh, for largely anticipated um, relationships, but it was good to kind of have that uh, affirmed within the setting. Um, so yeah, the institutional domain um, largely provided I guess the most insights into into correlates um, within the setting. So um, what we saw was that in services where there were physical activity games that involved um uh, elimination components, so thinking of things such as dodgeball and um, you know, handball and things like that. Um, it was uh found to be associated with uh, reduced physical activity and also um increased sedentary time within children attending the service. Um and we also saw that increased physical activity uh, equipment available so where there was more equipment available within the service um there were higher physical activity levels among children um and yeah also also noting um uh, you know another kind of i guess big concern when you're looking at uh you know childcare settings and the physical activity structure um, a, a lot of interest, there's a lot of interest obviously around activity structure and the whole idea of, you know, free play physical activity versus organised physical activity um, and quite a lot of the studies uh, did, um, did look at that. Um, however, the findings um, from the, the studies that were included were largely mixed, um, so there wasn't really a, a consensus, um, a consistent consensus across the studies um, that observed it. Um, on whether, you know, um, uh, free play or organized physical activity was, you know, more beneficial, um, for physical activity or sedentary behavior. Um, you know, some studies did find that it was, but other studies didn't or found no st- uh, significance. So it was largely mixed. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, it was, it was quite conflicting results there. Um, and then, yeah, as the community domain, which I mentioned as well, um, none of the, uh, I guess, correlations that we observed at the community level um, were found to be uh, significant.
0: Yeah, and I find that free play versus structured super interesting because one of the studies that you included, the Christy Reiser 2019 study, which was out of Norway, I, I read that study in preparation when I went to Norway last uh, last year. and The Norwegian style is very like autonomy supported, like the students are asked to be, you know, creative in their free play. There's less structure, whereas the U.S. is like, hey, here's your 30 minutes of physical activity and we're going to use catch and you're going to pull out this little card and the teacher is going to teach a set structured lesson that might not be very different than physical education class that was just happening two, three hours ago. And so it's, it's interesting because there are certain students who love the structure for sure. Like you look at a basketball practice or a, a, a you know, soccer practice or dance. Like after school, those are, those are not in your study for sure. But, but like those are after school at physical activities and they're highly structured and supervised and kids thrive in them. And then there's like the Norwegian model for younger kids. Definitely not necessarily the older kids, but for younger kids, it's a lot of free play, and it's just unsup. It's supervised, but it's not structured in a way. And I don't know where I fall in that because, you know, I've I've done probably five years back to back to back to back studies with uh, different after school programs for for our Reach After School Program and. There are kids that just don't want to do what we want them to do. And I talk to them like, why don't you want to participate? They're like, I've just been in school for seven hours. I'm exhausted. I just want to talk to my friends. And I'm like, well, if we're talking student choice, student voice, student autonomy, and that student has their voice saying, I want to sit down and read a book. Like, well, you have to get your 60 minutes of physical activity in this after school program because that's, that's my model. That's what I want you to do. It, it's like, it's tough. Like, then you go into, like, obviously ethics, right? You're not going to force that kid to be physically active. But, you know, like, maybe some kids just want to sit around and not be physically active, which is, which is not great if they're only getting 15 minutes of physical activity a day, let's say. Then that that's a health issue.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly right. And uh, yeah, it's difficult, you know, with the whole, I guess, you know, that more kind of organized, you know, where services will, you know, basically set up a big game of dodgeball. They'll be like, all right, everybody get up. We're all playing dodgeball now. Um, And essentially everyone has to be involved. versus times where you know they'll perhaps they'll put out a bunch of you know physical activity equipment or they'll have some staff outside uh you know supervising the playground and kids can kind of basically they can sit inside and read they can go outside and play with a ball they can go you know on the playground um and yeah i think it's you know i guess that whether one is you know perhaps you know better than the other or um you know uh, more beneficial i think it largely comes down to i guess you know child interest obviously children operate differently some some kids um you know thrive off that more um kind of self-driven um free play physical activity um and and they just love it you know if there's you know rather than having an organized game if there's you know basically free choice put over what they're doing and you know um they're instantly going to go outside, grab a ball, play with their friends, like they just want to be physical. Um, Whereas, as you kind of alluded to, there are some kids that, you know, just they don't really want to be physical, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, because of, you know, perhaps their own kind of um, environments and they haven't really had an emphasis on physical activity, perhaps, you know, at home and things like that um that you know having the more organized structured time where okay all right we're all playing this game um is obviously going to be I guess probably more uh get them more physically active um so yeah I guess there's you know uh not really I guess any kind of right or wrong um way because obviously every child's different but I guess it's about looking at, and I guess why I guess we're interested in looking at the, you know, correlations within the setting. Um, you know, what, you know, what kind of are other ways that you can get um, children to be physically active. So, you know, you know, we saw obviously where, perhaps where staff um, are actually engaging in the physical activity themselves or um, promoting it. That there was increases of activity. So, you know, even if it's not a big organised game you know you might see children are just kind of you know shooting hoops or playing handball on their own but you know if a staff member actually gets up and is playing the handball with them um you know that's often quite encouraging to children in terms of if a child's perhaps sitting down reading but they see you know the staff members out there playing with all their friends that's you know often makes them say hey you know i want to play too um so yeah i guess it's just looking about looking at other ways um to to kind of get children, um, obviously, organised games are are good, but, you know, what are some other ways, perhaps, that uh, we can get children physically active um, on their own, in their own kind of Mm -hmm. self-initiated? And I think that's good messaging as well for them because, obviously, you know, when they're outside of the centre on their own and they don't have that structured games, you want them to kind of have that initiative to just go and, you know, play and be active in their own time um, without that structure so um, yeah it, it's definitely an interesting I guess uh, topic to look at um, and think about um, but yeah it's it's obviously uh, I guess there's uh, my opinion I guess would be that there's not necessarily a right or wrong or a yeah. correct way to do it um, it's just about you know whatever kind of um, whatever you can do to promote physically active physical activity in a way that I guess um, you know works for the for the child and that the child is interested um, in, in doing.
0: Right, and, and you had a, you noted that you didn't have any policy uh, by anything in the policy category, but that, that 30 minutes of physical activity that's required, so for example, for example in the state of California in the U.S., like if you're running an after-school program that you're getting state subsidy to run that after-school program in elementary school, you have to provide 30 minutes of physical activity. But that 30 minutes of physical activity run poorly is just open time for people to be physically active. They put out a bunch of gear and you just like play. So let's say 25% of students are not physically active during that time. But they check that policy box when they're reporting. They say this week, 30 times five, we had 150 minutes of physical activity this week in after school care. But 25% of those students didn't do anything because it was done in that unstructured way. And like I, it's the same thing for where I'm now in, in the state of Virginia in the U.S. We don't have minute requirements for P.E. We have minute requirements for physical activity per week, which is 150 minutes. And they have... You know, most schools, honestly, like they have two 30 minute classes for PE a week for elementary and, you know, some have more, but it gets you 60, 60 minutes, but then they add the recess and the lunch recess on top of that and the extracurricular activities that are available, but they're not meeting 150 minutes because they can't force every single kid to be physically active during recess. So I think it's a policy implication, like, are you actually doing what you say you're doing, just because it's scheduled into your, you can show and print off or upload, this is our schedule, this is where they were able to be physically active.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And that's, yeah, I think that's, it's, it's really hard with, you know, um, and it's, it's, it's it, you know, it's very hard even for, um, I guess, you know, educators in these services to, I guess, be able to to monitor, I guess, how physically active their children are being. Um, I know recently there were some um, uh, Australian um, physical activity and screen time guidelines developed um, uh, by the University of South Australia around um, for the USH space. Um, And these these guidelines aren't, I guess, they're not like policy or force, but they are guidelines that I guess are being encouraged within the setting. Um, And that was kind of created through a Delphi study, um, and, and that those guidelines are, um, you know, in the initial stages of those guidelines, they had um, the idea was that, you know, in... in um, I believe it was in after-school care, um, children are obtaining um, 30 minutes of uh, MVPA, and in before-school care, they're getting 15 minutes of MVPA. However, uh, through the... Uh, subsequent stages of that uh, guidelines review um, there was I guess a question around okay um, we can how can we say to you know an educator in a service make sure your kids are getting 30 minutes of MVPA how can you know it's not exactly easy for them to you know um, tell that how are Mm -hmm. they supposed to keep track of that measure it like it's not really practical you can't just go around and tell them, okay, here's some accelerometers, make your children wear it every single day. Um, And, you know, they obviously have their own duties. They can't be keeping track of what every child's doing. So, yeah, those guidelines in the end, what they ended up uh, looking like is um, rather than amount of time accumulated, they're looking at um, amount of time scheduled. So uh, Mm -hmm. through, I believe, some literature they had found was that um, a three to one ratio of if you schedule an hour and a half of physical activity time, um, a child is um, likely to uh, obtain 30 minutes of MVPA. And um, so that's essentially what those guidelines look like is, you know, encouraging services to schedule physical activity opportunities for an, um, 90 minutes in after school care and 45 minutes in before school care. Um, so, yeah, it, it took that more scheduling approach. But then, yeah, as you referred to, um, you know, it, just because a service puts it in their schedule, uh, you know, doesn't mean that mm-hmm. children are going to, well, A, they're going to be necessarily enforcing it or following it, or B, that children are going to actually be engaging with it. So, yeah, it is it is quite a challenge, I guess.
0: Yeah. So uh, I have one last question and so I'm, I'm wondering kind of as, as you move forward what are what are the important messages or you know next steps for future research for out-of-school hours care stakeholders
1: yeah so I guess you know you know obviously through through um, some of the you know correlates that we kind of uh, kind of um, saw in our study there you know obviously there's things uh, you know we saw such as obviously you know uh, you know, Uh, girls having, being less physically active, um, and, you know, things such as, you know, staff, when there's like staff are promoting and engaging in the physical activity, there's, um, you know, increased, uh, physical activity. So, you know, looking at those factors, there's obviously room for perhaps, you know, future interventions to, uh, you know, target some of those issues to, you know, whether that be around, um, staff training. And I, I'm actually, um, in the process of um, creating uh, of, of, of offering uh, staff professional development for Ush providers, um, uh, I'm, I'm conducting a pilot RCT, um, and that's going to you know a lot of the messaging in that training is you know off some of those findings from this review in terms of you know encouraging staff to to engage in the games with the children um, and, and and things like that. So you know, obviously, there's direct uh, things in terms of um you know future interventions in the setting could target these areas because there was we saw that there were correlations there um but in addition to that i guess from this review what can be what can be taken um were i guess some of the gaps that we found so um as we kind of talked on earlier um before school care is a, a very underexplored space so um um there's definitely opportunity to be looking, looking more at, uh, before school care services in countries that, um, you know, that have those offer those settings. Um, but, uh, and also, I guess, um, you know, uh, mentioning as well with the, um, uh, health, you know, nutrition and healthy eating. I mentioned at the beginning how initially we were hoping to review those as well. However, there weren't enough studies that had, um, uh, I guess objective uh, healthy eating measures um, so the studies that I guess were looking at healthy eating in the setting were largely just like menu reviews and things like that it wasn't actually looking at you know the food that is being um, kind of consumed by kids in these services so um, yeah I guess there's there's opportunity for you know more I guess objective nutrition studies within the setting as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's I guess, you know, some of the, the, the key things that I guess came out of this review and, um, you know, in terms of, yeah, my own uh, future research, as I touched on before, I've got, um, uh, I'll be publishing um, uh, kind of in the next couple of months, um, uh, two papers on, um, one on the physical activity environments of the uh, four school care services and one on the uh, healthy eating environments. Um so um, that will be good to kind of, you know, get that, um, that information out there and, you know, start to, I guess, hopefully spread the word about, you know, before school care and yeah. it's worth investigating and things like that. So that should be good. Um, and, um, yeah, and I guess, you know, as I've also said, um, that intervention, which I'll be trialling shortly, so looking at, you know, upskilling and training USH, um staff. Using some of the, um, you know, some of the key things I guess we found through our review and our observational study as well. Um, so um, yeah, I think I think it's an I think it's an ex- exciting space. Um, you know, out of school hours care and even you know um, outside of the centre based care services. You know, before and after kind of exercise programs and things, which I know you've you've done some you're doing some research in as well. And I think uh, you know the whole um, outside of school physical activity is, um, you know, definitely uh, an opportunity um, for, for I guess, inter- targeted interventions in the future. And I think there's going to be a, a lot more kind of research moving into the future, just through what I've observed and in interacting with other kind of scholars, um, that it, there's going to be a lot more coming out of that space.
0: Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing about this. I know there's a there's a lot of research to do still, and especially in that before school space and the policy space and understanding like who makes guidelines, what are the guidelines we're supposed to follow and so on and so forth. So um, really appreciate your time. Um, for those of you who want to read the full article, um, you can check out the full citation in the comments section and the notes section of the podcast. Um, I also want to acknowledge, because I did not put these names up, up front, um, this is co authored by Yasmeen Probst, uh, Jennifer Norman, Karen Wardle, Sarah Ryan, Linda Patel, Ruth Crow, and Anthony Oakley. Um, it is a BMC Public Health open access article, so people who are looking at it and you're looking behind the paywall, uh, there's no paywall, so you can uh, access this for free. So you can just click on that link. Um, thanks. Appreciate it, Andrew. Thanks for coming on. Great. Thank you so much, Risto. Awesome. So that's all we have for you on this one. I want to thank as always uh, Alba Rodriguez for her help in producing the podcast. Thanks for listening.